I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday, and it's my pleasure to be with you. And believe me, tonight is a target-rich environment. Number one, Iowa, and the fantastic result for the next president of the United States, Donald Trump. And, of course, rather lackluster performance by Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. And it may be that Ron DeSantis, after he gets through with New Hampshire, where he may not do that well at all, he might just drop out of the race. Like a couple of other people, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out. Kind of makes sense. He got single-digit numbers out of Iowa. There wasn't much prospect for him. Asa Hutchinson, who hasn't even really been on the radar, although I have to say he's a pretty nice conservative. Uh, I don't know him personally, but he, he seems like a very good guy. He's just not got it in him to be able to get the kind of support that somebody needs to run for president. When Donald Trump is there and he is my choice as the candidate for the Republican Party, that's going very, very well. Then we've got our Twitter poll, or X poll as we call it now. The poll on X, should Facebook face prosecution for running human trafficking ads for the Mexican coyotes? And if you say, well, who says that's happening? Well, none other than Richard Grinnell, the former acting director of the United States National Intelligence Agency under Donald Trump. And Rick Grinnell's one of the smartest guys that I've ever had the opportunity to interview, and that's been a while. But he showed that Facebook is not stopping Guatemalan coyotes. These are the uh, criminals who work with the Mexican drug cartels largely to be able to get illegal aliens into America. And they're just openly advertising on Facebook. And for Facebook to tell Americans, well, we try to police what goes on. We don't let illegal stuff be put up on the site. For the most part, Facebook... They'll censor conservative points of view all day long and twice on Sunday and then allow ads to run for coyotes offering to sneak people across the American border for 10000 bucks. You know, there must be some money attached to it, so maybe Zuckerberg doesn't give a damn. But I think Facebook and Zuckerberg for aiding and abetting the illegal aliens and the cartels who traffic in human beings – ought to face some kind of legal scrutiny, not just limitations on their Section 230 rights. They're aiding and abetting the trafficking of human beings, and that has to stop. I think it's time that somebody in Congress began to haul these people up and say, if you can track down all the other illicit activities that you say are happening on social media, how about tracking down the coyotes as well and the Mexican drug cartels? So, should Facebook pace prosecution for running human trafficking ads for Mexican coyotes? I'd answer that one, yes. You can answer it any way you like. You'll find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. You'll find it on X, formerly Twitter, at Lars Larson Show, and always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in, unlike AARP, a thoroughly liberal group. I joined, and you should too. Just go to amac.us. Or call triple A two six two two thousand six. Amax better, better for you and better for America. And I'm glad to get your calls as well. If you want to jump into what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day. 
at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you are a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And while Donald Trump was pulling down the first majority out of the Iowa caucuses in Iowa history, during one of the biggest snowstorms in Iowa history, more snow in five days than that state has seen since 1941. I guess the global warming must not be working in the state of Iowa. While Donald Trump was turning in that fantastic performance and going on to what I'm sure will be another majority performance, at least maybe a plurality in the state of New Hampshire, although I'd love to see him top 50 percent. Guess what happened when ABC News and The Washington Post went out and they did some polling ahead of the Iowa caucuses? They find that Joe Biden has the lowest approval rating of any president in the past 15 years at just 33 percent. And if your response to that is, well, hold on a second, ABC News and The Washington Post, those are conservative outlets, aren't they? Only if you're one of the really crazy liberal progressives, they're about as liberal as the day is long. And coming up this hour, are the streets safer or more dangerous when criminal offenders get tickets instead of jail time? We'll talk about that. Tomorrow, the SEC might actually greenlight a rule that allows so-called natural asset companies to control vital U.S. resources. Is this an environmental policy or a potential risk to national security? And are puberty blockers that the left describes as life-saving, you know, for transgender, these things that do chemical castration on boys and all of the other puberty blocking that's done with girls, and I mean girls and boys, not adults, are they actually making kids dumber? And are their results or the effects on kids reversible? You know, kids have been told and parents have been told for some time that that's reversible. And it turns out not so very much. And take just a moment to cast a vote in my X poll at LarsLarson.com and at Lars Larson Show. A shout out to our friends in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, former home of the late Rush Limbaugh, who listen to Great Talk Radio on KZIM, KZIM, that's AM 960, where you can hear Great Talk Radio all day and my show Monday through Friday. I want to mention a merger that is in trouble right now. And ordinarily, we don't spend a lot of time talking about companies merging. But if you look up the data, we've talked about this with my friend Seat Motley more than once. A federal judge today blocked the merger of Spirit Airlines and JetBlue. And you say, well, why do I care? I don't have any dog in the fight. Uh, I think I've, I've flown on Spirit Airlines once and JetBlue maybe once, but it was years and years ago. Why should I care? Here's why you should care. The four biggest carriers in America, that's American, Southwest, Delta, and United. These are gi- giants in the airline business. They carry anywhere from 145 million people a year to as many as 200 million people a year. If you added JetBlue and Spirit together because they want to merge in a $3.8 billion merger, the two of them together don't make half of what the average of the top four make. So all you're doing is taking a marketplace in which you have the four big guys, American, Southwest, United, and Delta, and you're giving them a little bit of competition from somebody, a merged Spirit and JetBlue would still be a whole lot smaller than any of the ones that dominate the industry right now. But if you put in some new competition, do you know what you generally get 
when you add competition anywhere in America, you get more excellent service and you get lower prices. Now, is that a concern? No matter who you're flying on, if you say, I'm tired of paying these outrageous fares to fly on any of those other airlines, give them some uh, competition. But instead, the Biden Justice Department sued to stop it. And a federal judge has now done that. I'm sure it's going to be appealed. It was a federal judge in Boston who blocked the purchase because he said it would be anti-competitive. Again, I want you to understand the numbers. The top four, the biggest airlines in America, go from 140 million passengers a year for the lowest one to almost 200 million passengers a year. And if you added those two together, it's maybe 70 million passengers per year. That's going to be competition? That's going to hurt consumers? No, that's the Biden Justice Department playing politics, and it affects your pocketbook. Coming up in a moment, investors may soon have the opportunity to go after environmental conservation on public lands. Is that a great step or a national security risk? We'll talk about it coming up next. Small-town politics with big-town opinions. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you and a real pleasure to welcome back my friend Frank Gaffney because there's a question I want to ask Frank about what are called NACs, natural asset companies, and about how they might be used against the best interests of the United States. Frank is the co-founder or the founder of the Center for Security Policy and the author most recently of the number one best-selling book on Amazon in its category, The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America. China and the world. Frank, welcome back. It's great to be with you, Lars, as always. So, uh, as I understand it, these natural asset companies, uh, where the Securities and Exchange Commission is being asked to approve the creation of these things, would allow uh, what the aggregation of money, you know, get a bunch of money together, buy some land, either private land or gain control of public lands in America, and then allow people to, in effect, invest in them by buying shares in that. Do I have a proper understanding of it? Well, kind of. Um, it's a class of companies that does not exist today whose object is not to make money by yep. – creating goods and services. It is to use the money um, to control, not necessarily to own Mars, but to control the non-use of lands and waters and even air that may be public in nature or in some cases at least in being in private hands. And the theory is that this is all going to preserve the planet and and keep it in its natural state and ensure that it's not despoiled by mining or oil and gas exploration or timber or even farming. Uh, oh, how about this hunting? Mm-hmm. And and so what is really worrying and and honestly, there's so many aspects to this, Lars, that your head kind of hurts just to get your mind around it. The federal government is trying now to offload national parks 
and other public lands, Bureau of you know, the Lands Management and Interior Department and those kinds of things, and give these guys access to private lands that are, for example, under conservation easements, mm-hmm. so that they will take charge of them, in effect. They will say what can be done on them and what can't be done, and by and large, it's what can't be done, which is the, you know, uh, productive use of these properties. And what that lends itself to ultimately is essentially foreclosing the kinds of things that I've just talked about to the great detriment of the American people. And that's just fine with the people who are apparently going to be making these companies tick. Uh, And that would quite possibly be foreign governments willing to use their sovereign wealth funds essentially to lock up the natural resources of the United States. Who could that possibly include? Well, the Chinese Communist Party, the Russians, maybe the Iranians, the Saudis, any number of others who see this as a way to garrot us by essentially cutting us off from uh, the incredible bounty of this land. And it's not to say that we should willy-nilly despoil it, but the idea of not being allowed to use any of it to the benefit of people who want to foreclose its use, you know, they will be able to continue to exploit, uh, you know, their own properties and so on, but they'll deny us ours. And then there's this other piece of it, Lars, that I just want to make sure your audience knows about as well. The Chinese Communist Party, as you mentioned kindly in my book, The Indictment, we talk about in it uh, a speech that was made 20 years ago or so by the defense minister of China, a general by the name of Qi Chen, and it was to a secret meeting of Chinese leadership. And he briefed them on a plan that had been ordered by Deng Xiaoping, the former general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, back in the early 1990s, telling the biological warfare program of China, an illegal one, by the way, that they had as their mission depopulating the United States so that it could be colonized by the Chinese communists. So if you have the opportunity to lock down all of the bounty of this country until you colonize it, well, you might even have a further incentive to uh, Frank, eliminating let me, the population. Let me ask you, though, because country. I want to understand this mechanism. So I own, a, I own a piece of property that my house sits on. Well, the bank and I own it. Um, yes. I control that piece of property. These NACs, the National Natural Asset Companies, they wouldn't actually hold title to the land. They just hold the right to use it. Is that the and and how do they get titled to that to say we have the right to the water on this land or the air above this land or these other things? How do they get title to that? Well, they don't necessarily get title. That's what I'm saying. They get management rights, and it may not be your particular piece of property, unless, for example, ours. Um, you you love the property. And you want to maintain it in its pristine state, so you uh-huh. enter into a conservation easement. Well, the way those can work is the federal government or your state government or maybe your local government can assign, essentially, the management responsibility to keep it pristine, to keep it in keeping with the 
you know, the conservation idea, um, free from the use by, you know, these miners or these uh, oil and gas folks or whatever. So that's how they would get access to it in, in some cases in private lands. But the bigger issue, because there's a lot more of it, of course, is the public lands and waters and air. And the Biden team is beavering away as we speak, trying to figure out how to transfer the management responsibility to these companies as soon as the Securities and Exchange Commission approves their rule that allows these companies to uh, be traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And all of this is an extremely timely conversation, Lars, because if people in your audience don't much like the sound of all of this, you have until, wait for it, tomorrow, tomorrow to express your opposition to the Securities and Exchange Commission in a comment period. And we've made it easy for you to express that opposition, not only to them, but also to your elected representatives on Capitol Hill and to the New York Stock Exchange, which is playing a really dirty game here. And I think they deserve to have their reputation ruined for doing it. You can go to Sovereignty Coalition. Dot org, And with a click of a mouse or two, you will be able to send all of those people a strongly worded message. We've even drafted one for you if you want to use it, saying, I don't want any part of this. Don't even think about it. This is not America. We're not going to do it. No, and it's, it sounds like a very sneaky way to go about it because, Frank, I've seen cases 100%. where where families, uh, there was one that comes to mind, uh, not too far from where I'm standing right now, had, I, I think they had a 1,000 acres of land, and they said, we're rich, we, we want to be able to get a big tax write-off. So they gave a mm-hmm. conservation easement on about a 1,000 acres that otherwise right. would have gone into use for housing because it was near a town, a city. Yeah. And uh, But by by donating this, they said, we get the tax break right now because we're wealthy and we need the tax break, but we don't have to mm-hmm. sell the land. We just have to hand it over, and then the agreement is you'll keep it the way it is with trees and grass and all this nice stuff. Yeah. Not a not a yeah. park, not available to the right. public, but not available to build housing or, or factories or, or anything else on. It's just off limits forever. So the family right. got to feel good about it. And they got to have a big tax break because that was viewed as a multi-million dollar donation. That's the kind of thing you're talking about, NACs, trying to take ownership of or control of the management of lands like that, right? That's a perfect example of how this could work with private land. And the counterpart is, as I say, these other lands that the government of one kind or another has uh, in its trust. Only they're going to turn that over quite possibly to the Chinese Communist Party. And, you know, there's a lot of places in this country that are now up in arms about the idea that the Chinese are coming in and buying up farmland and so on. Well, this is a way to get access on large quantities of that stuff without having to go through all of it. Absolutely. That's Frank Gaffney from the Center for Security Policy. Go to SovereigntyCoalition.org. We'll be back in just a moment. I'll get to your phone calls and emails. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. And an important job.
Lots of folks worry about their firearms, but Lars doesn't have to worry about Biden taking his guns. He stores them upstairs. This is the Lars Larson Show. Big Iron on his Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Our ex-poll today, formerly Twitter, should Facebook face prosecution for running human trafficking ads for coyotes who are sneaking illegal aliens into our country? The discovery made just a few days ago by Richard. Richard Grinnell, the former acting director of United States National Intelligence. So if Zuckerberg and Facebook or Meta, whatever you want to call it today, are running ads for Mexican coyotes to sneak people across the border into the United States for tens of thousands of dollars, should they face some kind of prosecution? I'd say yes. You can answer any way you like. It's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Now, I'm going to take calls, but I'm going to warn Justin right up front. Uh, My producer says you like to swear a lot. The first time you swear, because I have to abide by federal rules, you're going to be gone. So keep that in mind. What's your comment or question today, Justin? Okay, so uh, uh, I think that's that's false. That's a false narrative uh, your producer is saying. I've never sworn on your show before. We've had several conversations. So uh, my question is, so, you know, obviously, you know, I support the Republican Party. I, I, I support the way forward for the Republican Party. Yeah. And, you know, okay. uh, maybe okay. Trump's the one or Santos or Nikki Haley or whatever. So my question is, do you believe that Jesus Christ walked on water? Yes. I believe the book, and the book says he walked on water. But how does that relate to the Republican Party today? I'm saying deep, deep side in your heart, do you believe that? Yes. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe that he died and ascended, uh, died and, and was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Do you want me to go through all my philosophical beliefs and religious beliefs? You can do that. It's going to be boring. No, but you're a Protestant, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, you're a Protestant. Okay, look, are you going to go somewhere with, if you're not going to go somewhere with this, Justin, I'm going to move on to other people who have something to say. What's on your mind? Uh, Are you living, at the end of the day, Lars, you know, I am a Republican, but I live in reality. Yeah. And, you know, you're saying three billion other people don't believe in the same philosophy as what you believe in. Actually, two and a half billion people on planet Earth are Christians. I would would quest you to ask that. So that means if I do the math right, if there are eight billion people on the planet and two and a half billion identify as Christians, that would mean that five and a half billion do not are not yet Christians. They could be. Oh, okay, but that's what you want is a Christian. Are you going to? Are you going to go anywhere with this, Justin? If you're not, I'll move oh, along. Yeah, I'm going there with Israel. Yeah, with the thousands of people killed. Yeah, who have obviously been brainwashed by Hamas and everything else. Yeah, okay. It sucks to be a Palestinian. Palestinian, but that you know what? What the hell are? I'm going to go somewhere else. Justin, thank you for the call, I think. Let's go to Mike in Alabama. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey. 
Hey, uh, I think your last caller was a little medicated. Uh, it, it, maybe that's I mean, it could it could have a lot of explanations as to why Justin couldn't get to his point. But it's not like I didn't give him a chance. So what's on your mind today? I, I know you're going to take us someplace sensible. Uh, I'll try to. Uh, call. I'll talk to you a few times. Or, hey, I'm, that, that last guy you interviewed uh, about the land issues. Yeah, the natural asset companies, Frank Gaffney from Center for Security Policy. I think he makes a good point. The SEC's going to decide this tomorrow. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how. I've never even heard of that, but from what I understand in Michigan, and I imagine most states do this, is when your property goes on tax sale, the state reserves all mineral rights on completion of that sale. In well, other words, they hold the mineral rights and you own the property, but they keep the mineral rights. Well, I don't know, Mike, if I buy a piece of... I, I don't have any land on which I have the mineral rights. I mean, most house lots do not have mineral rights under them, or if they do, they're not anything you could actually exercise. I think my neighbors would object if I put an oil rig in the in the front yard. But... Some land comes with mineral rights. Some land is sold without the mineral rights. I, I, where are we going? Well, where I'm going with is if the state is holding the mineral rights to your property, are these people, and in essence, these people are going to be able to buy the rights or easement rights to your property under mineral rights. If if you bought, if you're, well, Mike, you're, you're getting into property law, and I'm not a lawyer, but if if you bought a piece of property and what you bought was the land rights and the subsurface rights, then you still own them. If the state takes them back because you didn't pay your taxes, I assume they get the whole package. But uh, but whether or not so a state... So then they resell that land to whomever, and if you happen to buy a house that, that or a piece of property down the road that had already been through that process, the state still holds those rights to it and with... Primarily, yeah, but what would they do with them? As I understand it, these these natural asset companies, for the most part, are going to just tie things up. They're not looking at exercising the mineral rights. They're saying, you know, in theory, this is being put together so people can say, we don't care if we make money. We just want to tie this land up so that nobody else can drill for oil, mine it, and things like that. That's what those and and because the stated the stated purpose of most companies in America is to make money. If you went out and said, I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna put a company together and sell coffee for four dollars a cup the way Starbucks does, you're there to make money. Uh-huh. These natural asset companies are being set up without the incentive of making money. They don't care if they make money. So, so they could tie up your well, you drilling a wealth on your own property then. Well, they could if they bought just that part of it, but I, I think your question's more complicated, and I think their vi- vision is not buying individual house lots. They're, they're, as according to Frank, what they're doing is they're going after huge amounts of natural resources, hoping to tie them up and maybe put them into foreign hands. And on that note, let's go to Nate, John, our first naysayer of the day. Hey, John, welcome to the program. You're a naysayer. What do we disagree about? Oh, I think the Chinese should be allowed to buy as much uh, American land as they want. Why? And because as soon as they do that, civil forfeiture on them, and tell them, as I'm sure Chai Kamal understand, this land belongs to the people, not you. Get out of Hold here. Hold on. Why do you, you want them to buy the land? 
so that we can yeah, then we, take it back? They, yeah, not pay them anything for it. Civil forfeiture. Well, what would the crime be that they would have committed that would allow you to take the land under civil forfeiture? They don't have to commit a crime. You just have to declare civil forfeiture. And if they're not doing it properly, they definitely committed an infraction of some sort. Aren't they not registering a lot of these lands? I think if they'd lost enough land that way, they'd quit buying American land, don't you think? I think what we ought to do is tell foreign nationals, all of them, not just China, if we if Americans well, China, can't buy land, China understands the principle. China understands the principle of land belonging to the people. It's part of their communism. So I think they'd go in and rub their nose in it. Except that I don't know that you could get that principle to apply here. Let's go to Darren in Michigan, listening on WILS. We're tight to the break, Darren. What's on your mind? Yeah, uh, just one thing. Uh, I know everybody's kind of giddy about the uh, Iowa results, but we must. Keep in mind that uh, our former president, hopefully be president again, he needs to grab about 90% of the 40% that didn't vote for him. That's a good point. Darren, thanks for the call. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Best conversation in talk journalism, and you can uh, weigh in at 866-HEY-LARS. Uh, that's 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And join me in welcoming Lance LaRusso, founder of the Blue Line Lawyer Institute, former cop, and the author of the books, When Cops Kill and Blue News, the proceeds of which go to police charities for those who passed away in the line of duty. Lance, welcome back, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. So tell me where we're going in this country with, uh, you know, the George Floyd incident that set off a wave of defund the police, also setting off a wave of decriminalizing a lot of things that used to be crimes in the United States. And now we've got a giant increase in crime, just as a lot of us suspected was going to happen, right? Yeah, you know, a a good friend of mine years ago uh, told his boss when he was complaining about crime and how to solve it, he said, do you want to do something about crime or do you want to do something about crime statistics? (laughs) And essentially, if you decriminalize, uh, you know, for instance, if you change the status of shoplifting from $300 to $900 for the threshold for a felony, you will probably have less felony arrests for shoplifting. But that doesn't mean you're going to have less shoplifting. That's a good way to illustrate it. And is that what we've effectively done with not just not just property crimes like shoplifting, but also serious crimes like drug possession, drug sales, and and also violent crime? Absolutely. And then when you look at the effect of it, you have more of the crime. But the you know the, for a business owner, say for a victim uh, or you know person who gets burglarized, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a felony or a misdemeanor, or if you call it burglary or a theft. The person who's victimized is still suffering the injury. And what we're seeing in a lot of these cities is the small business owners, the big business owners, the corporations that are realizing they can no longer take the hit from the thefts, whether they're burglaries, robberies, um, fraud crimes, they're they're customers being robbed in the parking lots, they're packing up and leaving because they can no longer function. So the decriminalization is just creating more victims. Except when it comes to liberals who I think 
will take that opportunity to say, well, there's a grocery desert here, a food desert, I think they call it now. So that means the government has to step in in place of the private sector and do that function instead, which I don't think it is all uh, desirable or a good idea, but, but that's where they seem to want to go with it. Yeah, and the other side of that, too, is they're creating new words to, you know, the food desert, the um, the de- de-investing in a community when you leave as a business because your employees are being robbed in the parking lot or their cars are being broken into. You know, if somebody asked me about all of these different terms, I said, well, you can't solve crime with a thesaurus. You can have all sorts of different names you want, but the bottom line is people want to be safe. The first and basic responsibility of government is to keep people safe. And if people don't feel safe, they will naturally gravitate towards places where they can live, work, play, and enjoy life. Go down to the theater, go down to watch a movie, go down to watch their kids at a ball game or eat at a restaurant and not be robbed. Well, it almost strikes me that some of the liberal policies are like the person who digs a hole and then declares there's a hole there and we need to have a government program to fill it in. They dig the holes in these neighborhoods. They make them dangerous. And, and then they say, and now we must fix the problem that we created. And, and I don't see that as, as, as a smart thing for people. And the fact that people are tolerating the government doing it is really disturbing. Well, it just keeps getting worse, and, and to your your digging analogy, as I've said, when your only tool is a shovel, that's all you know how to do. And when we're looking at the net effect of how it's it's their resulting policies have destroyed communities, how they have driven good law enforcement officers out of the profession, how they have had people that you know used to live in thriving downtown areas who no longer feel safe, the the policies have failed. They failed miserably, and we've seen, you know, the also the issue with every single person is entitled to a bond, and you should not consider whether or not the person's a danger to the community. We've seen people who have committed multiple heinous, violent crimes who are out on quote bond because we're going to be try to fair to be fair to everyone, but when they reoffend, there's no recognition that that person needs to be kept in jail until there's an adjudication of their crimes. And that's the purpose of, of bond is not only to secure the person's appearance, but also keep the public safe until that crime is adjudicated. Well, as an example I gave last week, and it wasn't a unique example, but it was an illegal alien, four times deported, uh, come, comes into America, kept getting caught drinking and driving and driving intoxicated. And uh, the last time that he got caught, and even though the judge in Colorado knew that he was an illegal alien, knew that he was, after you re-enter after being deported once, every re-entry is a felony. So this is a guy who's guilty of multiple federal felonies, and he gets drunk and drives again. And the judge says, I'm going to cut you loose. And four days later, the thing that was just about inevitable that you would expect was he was out drunk driving again. And he slammed into a mom, a 47-year-old woman, and her teenage son, and both of them were killed. And sadly, I don't know if there's a scientific basis to this formula, but I always notice the drunk driver always seems to survive, no matter how many times the drunk driver kills people. Uh, the drunk, you know, and sometimes drunks die, but it's just bizarre that the drunk usually ends up alive. And in this case, he did. So now you've got an illegal alien guy who's accused of manslaughter for killing his mom and her son. And it's the result of the judge 
And I don't hear a giant hue and cry coming out of Colorado saying we got to stop this sanctuary nonsense because that just got a mom and her an innocent mom and an innocent son killed because you kept tolerating this kind of criminal activity that was virtually certain to end in a death at some point. If you let a, an illegal alien or, or, an, or a citizen drive drunk long enough, they're eventually going to kill somebody, aren't they? Uh, well, and you know the answer to why you haven't heard an uh, uproar about it is because the hardest words to speak are, I was wrong. And it's really interesting, even places that have reversed some of these policies have never really admitted that the policies were ill-advised or just silly. They're just, well, we're going to try a different tactic. And the net effect is that the public is not as safe. Yeah, and the end, end result is they don't want to admit it. You know that I... I, I live in the Pacific Northwest where we've got two states that have de facto legalized hard drugs. They've forbidden police chases. They've done all these other things. And when the body bags start piling up and those of us who object to it say, hey, are you going to do something about this? They say, well, you know, we don't want to be unfair to the criminal. We don't want to be unfair to the accused. And we don't want to be unfair to the illegal aliens or anybody else. But they're just going to keep letting body bags keep on piling up. Lance, I appreciate what you do. That's Lance LaRusso with the Blue Line Lawyer Institute, former cop and the author of When Cops Kill and Blue News. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you first at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out my Instagram feed. You'll see I've got a face for radio. And, of course, you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. And now, Lars. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. There is a lot on the agenda tonight. Is Florida governor and presidential candidate Ron DeSantis putting Floridian lives at risk by allowing his Surgeon General to blast COVID boosters? We're going to talk about that with our medical go-to guy this hour. You're going to want to hear it, although I may or may not agree with him. Are the voices of those who depend on America's waters being drowned out in Joe Biden's climate change agenda? And Donald Trump overwhelmingly won last night's Iowa caucuses for the Republicans. Is that just the beginning of a series of dominating victories? Because it looks like he's going to do very well in New Hampshire when that primary comes around. And take just a moment to cast a vote in our X poll. The poll on X, formerly known as Twitter, should Facebook face prosecution for running human trafficking ads for the Mexican coyotes? This was pointed out by Richard Grinnell former director of national intelligence under Donald Trump, who showed that Facebook is not stopping, for example, Guatemalan coyotes from advertising their services to bring illegal aliens into America. 
So apparently Facebook is glad to throw out the perverts and the pornographers and others. But when it comes to coyotes bringing illegal aliens into America, I guess they're okay with that. And maybe they should face prosecution for aiding and abetting that illegal entry to America. Today's X poll is found at Lars Larson Show on X, also on our website at LarsLarson.com, and brought to you always by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group a long, long time ago, and you can join too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Let's go first to Jason in Alabama. And if you want to join the conversation, it's 866-439-5277. And naysayers always go first. Hey, Jason, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey Lars, I, uh, yeah, I'm just going back to your uh, your Chinese foreign nationalists. These uh, buying land here in America, I I don't understand why it even happened in the first place. If we know that we owe these all these trillions of dollars, why are we even letting foreign nationals come over here? And we want them to come over here. I understand that, but get the ones that your allies. And if you do want those type of people to come over here, tax them more if they're not your ally. Well, Jason, I'm with you. And the simple answer to your question: Why is it happening? Because there's no law against it. Foreign nationals are allowed to own property in the United States. And there's nothing that would, I mean, for example, there's nothing that would prevent you if you owned a house or an apartment building or a piece of land in Alabama. If a foreign, uh, if foreign person, uh, approached you and said, Hey, by the way, Jason, I'd like to own that house or I'd like to own that apartment building. There's no law that says you can't sell it to them. And I've suggested maybe there should be. And especially when yeah. it comes to countries where if we can't own land in their country, that would be the simplest place to start, is say, if yeah. Americans can't own land in China and you can't, then your Chinese nationals can't own land here. And if somebody said, well, how yeah. do I uh, change that? And you say, get your country to allow Americans to own land there uh, or become an American, legally emigrate and become an American. But when this Chinese national who was identified over the weekend, but he bought the land 10 years ago, and it was supposed to be registered as a foreigner, a foreign national buying land in America, 200,000 acres of land in the state of Oregon that was purchased by a Chinese national who's still a Chinese citizen. He's a prominent member of the Chinese Communist Party. And it raised a lot of questions about why are we letting this happen? And like so many things, Jason, I find they usually write laws against things things after the first time we run into it and say, is there a law against that? And if the answer is no, you say, well, maybe we should have one. What do you think? Well, they're too worried about, they're too worried about gun laws instead of they are, they are the other, you know, they're, they're not, they're not worried about keeping Americans safe. They're worried about making Americans suffer. It seems like now it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. I I don't, I mean, Congress is who I understand the president is who he is, but the president's upon Congress makes the decisions. And well, they really, and I'm glad that. you recognize that, Jason, because I get people who say, well, you remember when Ronald Reagan granted amnesty to all no. those illegal aliens in 1986? I say, the Congress passed the law. The, the president, no president can pass president. a law on his own say-so, unless you're the great constitutional scholar Barack Hussein Obama, who created the DACA program <laughs> that's not a law, and it's, yes. it's not based on anything Congress did. He just wrote his name on a piece of paper and said, make it so, and somehow yes. the courts have been willing to defend that nonsense. Yes, rules are, rules are not laws. People have to understand that also. DACA can be a rule, but it's not a law. 
Well, but in, in his case, it was a rule. But it, it, as yeah. I recall, DACA, was, the Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals, wasn't even passed as a formal federal regulation because there's a process mm-hmm. for that, too. And they didn't follow it, as yeah. I understand. Yes. And like I said, man, I don't think if you're if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, no matter what, you need to wake up and recognize some of these folks in there, Republican or Democrat, and I am a Republican, and I vote Republican because they, they rely on my values, but... It, you have bad people on both sides, and people need to recognize that and start voting these people out, and let's get these new people in with new ideas. You know what, Jason? One of the ideas that's always seemed attractive to me, if you compared America to one of the most exclusive clubs in the world, now I know some people would mm-hmm. find that a, a bad comparison, but say you had a very exclusive club in your town in Alabama, and you say, how do I get to be a member of that club? And you say, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be money. It has to be that you're a person of good character. How do you get thrown out of that club? By doing things that don't show your good character. Work. Yeah, exactly. and if people said, well, I really want to belong to the, uh, you know, the Dothan Club or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, uh, Valdosta Club, and you say, how do I get mm-hmm. to be that? You, you're a good person. You do, you're a good citizen, and you do good things in the community. And, and if, if you said, well, that's really a great club to be a member of, and you say, do they discriminate on race or religion or skin color or anything? No, they don't discriminate on that. They decide if you're a if you're a good person, you can join, and if you become a bad person, you're kicked out. I wish America would look at it that way and say, when we allow immigration, we should allow good people to immigrate. I don't care what yeah. color they are. I don't care where they go to yeah. church. I want good people. And how do you get tossed out? Well, if you've got a green card right now, you commit a crime in America, you can lose your green card. And this is why yeah. treating residency in the United States, the way Joe Biden has been, letting 9 million people, many of them are convicted criminals, many of them are on the terrorist watch list, many of them do not have America's best interests at heart, I don't want them in my country. And I wish we did the same thing with ownership of companies and land and said, you know, if, uh, yeah. if you're a, if you're a good person, you can own some land. If you're not, you can't. And if your country won't let us own land there, then you can't own land here. That would be a simple set of standards to start with, wouldn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely easy, simple standards. That's that's the simplest thing you could come up with. If you want to come over here and be a good citizen, that's fine. But you're gonna. But also, we also let people with small voices, small people, run our government. Also, with like the trans and all that stuff. We don't need that stuff in our schools. If you want to keep that and live your life, live your life, and you can do that, and you're in a free country where you can do that. You can't go over to Iraq and do that. You can't go over to uh, China and do that. You can't go to Russia and do that. No, you certainly can't. Jason, thanks for the call. And I said Valdosta. That's Georgia. Sorry about that, Jason. I meant in Alabama. Back in just a moment, you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. 
Uh, is Florida's Surgeon General confused about the difference between DNA and mRNA vaccines? And I want to talk to our friend, Dr. Henry Miller. Uh, he's a uh, both a medical doctor and a molecular biologist. He's now at the American Council on Science and Health. And believe me, doctor, you uh, you generate an awful lot of <laughs> emails that I get from my listeners who get incredibly frustrated listening to you. So you're obviously touching a nerve. Uh, well, I, I guess that's good. I hope in, in addition to touching a nerve, it inspires them to go to uh, accurate sources for their information, Lars. Well, here's the thing. I've been a critic of the mRNA so-called vaccine, and you know that, and you know that I've made different, different decisions than you and many other Americans have made about taking the jab. I'm not doing it. And I don't think I've suffered any harm as a result of doing that. But I always tell people, it's my opinion. You should make up your own and don't simply mimic, you know, what other people are saying. But in this case, you've actually got a full-blown war going with the uh, Florida Surgeon General uh, about his statements on the vaccine, on masks, and a lot of other things. Is, is it fair to describe that as a war or just a minor battle? No, I don't think it's a war because it, it's one-sided. He's never re- uh, rebuffed. Uh, or rebutted anything that I've said, whereas I've been able to debunk many of his uh, mis- uh, misapprehensions and lies and what amounts to mission- uh, professional misconduct many times. See, my concern is that from the beginning, I think that Americans were fed a lot of bad information, and, and I've tried to apply the same rules that you do to things, and that's say, show me some data, show me some information. And recently I saw a soundbite from Anthony Fauci, who I don't think is anybody's gift to the truth, uh, from 2019, right before the pandemic, in which he said, well, you know, if we're going to start applying these new technologies like mRNA, uh, rather than going with traditional vaccines, and he referred to them as vaccines made with, you know, a- an egg base, uh, you know, old school vaccines, you know, where you actually grow some of the virus, kill it, and then use that to make a, a vaccination, which was, you know, the system for a long, long time. He said, but we're only going to go to that if we go through full development and full clinical trials, and that's going to take about 10 years. And about 12 months later, he was participating in a program to whip out one of these new technologies, new technology, so-called vaccines, based on uh, something that could be uh, ginned up and and approved in less than a year. Am I mischaracterizing any of that? Well, it, it, the, uh, the old way of, of doing things took a long time because the technology was primitive and there had been mishaps in the remote past with the older techniques. There, with the uh, Salk vaccine, there was something called the Cutter incident, where a company called Cutter failed to inactivate the uh, vaccine properly, and they gave a number of kids polio uh, as a result. Um, the, the new techniques are much more precise, uh, much more controllable, and the proof is in the pudding. They developed an excellent vaccine with more than 95% efficacy within a year. They tested the uh, the, the first two, the cutter, uh, the uh, the cutter, the Pfizer vaccine <laughs> and the Moderna vaccine, in um, more than 40,000 subjects, three quarters of whom got the vaccine, a, a quarter got placebo. Uh, it was an excellent vaccine. It's still an excellent vaccine uh, with the, the um, updated boosters. Uh, and 
it, it was a tremendous success. So it's hard, it's hard to quibble with it. What about uh, the side effects? Success. And do you think that, that Americans have both, A, are knowledgeable or, or have been given the opportunity to learn about the possible side effects? Because I sense a real resistance uh, in, the meta, in the mainstream medical community to telling us about the side effects. They always want to say, oh, no, it's not a big deal. Don't look over there. And in some cases, they literally held information back from the public. That doesn't seem like good science to me, Doc. And by the way, I tell my audience, I put you on even when I disagree with you because you're a medical doctor. I'm not. But uh, I, I want people to hear the other side of the argument, whether that, whether it makes them comfortable or not. Well, the uh, the side effects were uh, such as they are were discussed in the FDA's summaries that they presented to their advisory committee in December. Like myocarditis? Myocarditis, very minimal uh, incidence and uh, reversible in virtually every case. Uh, whereas in uh, 2020, we had 351,000 deaths from COVID, uh, to say nothing of long COVID and the misery that that continues to inflict on people who, who have these uh, persistent symptoms and signs after the initial infection. Okay, now there's a suspicion, Doc, that uh, an awful lot of people are getting myocarditis that seems unusual and out of the norm because you're seeing young, healthy people get myocarditis, and then we hear, no, it has nothing to do with the fact that they took the jab. And and I'm wondering, has, has there been any good, solid science where they've looked at what seems like a real spike in myocarditis cases that was associated not with what happened during 2020 when the, you know, the, the COVID was there, but the vaccine was not. But in 2021, when we saw a whole big spike in those cases and people said, what's what's up with that? And and the answer we got was pay no attention to that. It has nothing to do with this brand new shot based on brand new, well, brand, not brand new technology, but technology used in a brand new way. Well, there undoubtedly uh, were some cases, maybe even numerous cases of myocarditis in 2021, because that's when the, the vaccine was was distributed and widely right. widely used in something like uh, almost 80 percent of Americans got at least one shot. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a spike. But again, you have to juxtapose that to. Uh, the lives saved, the hospitalizations prevented, the overwhelming of hospitals prevented, and the long COVID See, prevented. And, and, Doc, I've told you before that one of the, I think one of the arguments that bothers me the most is say, if they hadn't got the shots, bad things would have happened. And I call that elephant repellent. You're familiar with that, right? I spray elephant repellent in my studio every week. And you know what? To this day, I have not seen a single elephant here, and it's because I spray elephant repellent. That's the kind of argument it reminds me of, that, oh, it's good because if you hadn't had it, which we don't know what would have happened, these bad things would have happened. Well, Lars, we know uh, that most of the people who uh, are dying of COVID these days are unvaccinated, either uh, wholly or, or in part. Uh, the unvaccinated are suffering a great deal more from this and, in fact, from other uh, preventable infectious diseases as well. There's an, there's an outbreak of measles in Philadelphia 
and New York and a huge outbreak uh, with uh, cases in triple figures in the UK of a totally preventable disease. And, uh, Except, Doc, I suspect that may have something to do with Joe Biden's policy on the border. Do you think I'm right? I, I don't know. I just don't know. Well, uh, when you it, when, oh, hold on, Doc, you've got nine million, almost 10 million illegal aliens who've come into the country in the last three years. And I would be willing to bet that given where they came from and their economic situation, they are probably very likely to be unvaccinated. Do you think I'm right? Uh, you, you're, yeah, you're right. And but, so all of a sudden you, know, you bring 9 million new people into a country and you have massive outbreaks of a disease that's very unusual in the United States, correct? It, it, it correlates to the lack of vaccination in the U.S. The, uh, the, the percentage of people get, getting applying for and getting um, uh, doctor's notes, what are in effect doctor's notes, for uh, avoiding vaccination is at a, an all-time high in recent times. It's over 3% now. And that correlates to uh, the appearance of these outbreaks of, uh, of uh, preventable disease. It could be. Dr. Henry Miller, he's now at the American Council on Science and Health, and we'll be back in just a moment. Doc, thank you very much for the time. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. are the nation's largest gun control explained want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers ban sober drivers that's how gun control works this is the Lars larson show welcome back to Lars larson show in a couple of minutes i want to tell you about something that's called ocean justice it's coming out of the biden administration and it appears to be completely tone deaf to all the concerns of all the different people and industries that would be uh, affected by it. But let me get into that in a moment. First, I want to grab a few calls. And if you want to jump into the uh, the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can vote in our uh, X poll. Used to be Twitter, now it's X. You can find that at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find the question on our website at LarsLarson.com. Let me go to John in Kentucky. Hey, John, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, Mr. Larson. Um, I got a question for you, and I would love to hear your comment on it. Okay, all these Chinese communists and these other countries are buying up these huge, you know, hunks of American property, right? Yep. I'm wondering that if these... Different state governments, the conservative, because liberal ones, they don't seem to care. Isn't there a thing called if they find out that it was, you know, it's, you know, bought by a Chinese national, two hundred thousand acres or whatever it was, or twenty thousand? It, it was two hundred thousand acres bought about ten years ago in the state of Oregon. It's out on the eastern side of the state, which is the least populated side of the state. Uh, and this this okay. Chinese communist. Uh, who's still a Chinese national, he's a, a Chinese citizen, and he's a prominent member of the Communist Party. 
and and his his purchase apparently only came to light about uh, uh, literally about a week ago. Um, you know, and, okay. and 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 that's disturbing because foreign nationals who buy property in the United States, there's supposed to be a registry of foreign nationals who own land in this country. Apparently, that land, this land in particular, uh, the two hundred thousand acres, was not listed that way. And so you wonder, well, how did that happen? But go ahead with your question. Well, the question is, is that if they find out that they've been hiding this, can't that state declare eminent domain and take that land back and just pay them what they paid for it? Because no. I know you're welcome. I mean, the short answer is you can't do that. The short answer is no. And John, oh. eminent do- eminent domain is something that's in the Constitution, and it's there for a reason. And I've had people argue against it. But typically, how a government, whether it's the federal government or the state government or a local government, exercises eminent domain is, you know, the, the, you say there is an essential public purpose, you know, that we need to solve. And, and I would give you this example. In the early days of America, if you said we need to put a, 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 a facility into a bay in, say, uh, you know, in New York, and we need to we, we need to station warships there, and and you'd say, well, where do you want to put it? And you say, well, the best place for that is at this location. And you say, okay, uh, somebody else owns that property, and you go to the property owner and you say, we'd like to buy it, and he says, I don't want to sell it. And you say, well, we have to have that piece of land because it's essential for an essential public purpose. And then they have to make an argument in court and say, we're gonna we want to seize this under eminent domain, and then. The, gu- the court will decide, well, how much should this person be paid? I've watched some of these cases on really pedestrian things. Like um, there was a – in my neck of the woods, there was a an old, old theater called the Paramount Theater, and it occupied almost a block of, an, of a city in Portland, Oregon. And, and, they, and the city government said, we want to make a performing arts center, and we'd like that, that theater. And the owners said, well, you can buy it for $2 bucks. Uh, or four million bucks, and the city said we think it's worth more like half a million. I mean, obviously, when he, when anybody's buying or selling something, the the seller always thinks it's worth more, and the buyer always thinks it's worth less. So they went to yeah. court. You know, the the family that owned it said, "Okay, well, you're not going to take it from us. We'll fight you in court." And we don't think it's worth half a million. We think it's worth more. In the end, they ended up getting a couple of million bucks for it, and and the court ordered the city, if you really want it, you're going to have to pay for it. I think that you should never use eminent domain for things like performing arts centers. I could give you another example of a, 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 a soccer field that, that, you know, it was a farm and the, you know, the owners didn't want to sell it. And the county said, well, we want it for a, a big soccer field or a bunch of soccer fields for kids, which is, is a worthy project, but it's not an essential public purpose. The better example I would say the better example would be this, and I'll bet in Kentucky you got water just like in my neck of the woods there's water. If you said we want to go over, name a, a big river near where you are in Kentucky. Oh, I don't know. I just you have any big rivers? Years. Okay, but but <laughs> yeah, if we you, got a few. <laughs> you got a few, and you might say, well, where is? I mean, from a physics. The Barren River. We have the Barren okay, River. Okay, the Barren River, and I'll bet along the Barren River there are good places to put a bridge across. And there are probably some bad places where the river is particularly wide, or maybe the soil on each side is 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 soft soil dirt instead of rock. 
And you might say, well, if you're going to ever put a bridge across the Barren River, you better put it across from here to here because that's where you can firmly base each end of the bridge. And you say, but somebody owns those pieces of property. So you might go to court and say, look, we got to have a bridge across this river. We need it at this location, and this is the best place for it to cross. It also applies to things like power lines and gas lines and freeways and things like that. If you say we need to build, you know, a certain interstate down this piece of property, you say, well, you got this one landowner and he doesn't want to sell. Okay, we'll seize it under eminent, and it really is a seizure of land. Although the court then decides, number one, can you seize the land, and number two, how much do you have to pay the owner? Because otherwise, you could literally have, you know, transmission lines for electricity, gas lines, water lines, bridges, things like that. And one property owner could say, I want $100 million for my half acre that's in the way of your freeway. And and the court gets to decide what's a fair price for it. That's how you apply eminent domain. But could a state just say, you're a foreign national and we're going to take your property away in Venezuela? Under under that kind of government, yeah, okay. you could you could take oh. it, but let's not have that happening. But you know, one of the, I will tell you, eminent domain has been abused uh, a lot okay. in America, and the most famous decision is called the Kilo decision. And what it has, it's not spelled like K I L O, like kilogram. It was a bunch of people owned houses, and uh, let me think, it was in the Upper Northeast. I think it was Massachusetts. Uh, it might have been another one of the Northeast states. Anyway, the city said, we got all these people who own these ordinary, plain vanilla family homes. And uh, we got a big pharmaceutical company, as I recall, uh, that said, if you could get that land for us, it's on a body of water. It looks really pretty. We'll build a major uh, headquarters for our pharmaceutical company. And the city or the county, city or county, I think it was the city, said if we let them build this gigantic pharmaceutical headquarters there, the county will get a lot of tax money and the city will get a lot of tax money and they'll bring, bring jobs. So to hell with all these people, I think there was one little house that was a pink house. And, and this the woman who owned it said, I don't want to sell my house. I like my house and I don't want to sell it. And they said, we're going to take it away because the city and county will get a lot more tax money and the town will get a bunch of jobs. You say, fine, if you want it, buy it. Offer her enough money that she's willing to sell it. And they took it under eminent domain. That one went all the way to the Supreme Court. And it wasn't exactly my favorite court decision because they basically said, screw the average homeowners and take the property. That's a a real abuse of eminent domain. And frankly, states have the power to, to change that. They could go in and say eminent domain is only for essential public purposes. So it still apply to freeways, uh, naval ports, uh, military bases, you know, things like that. It doesn't apply to, you know, performing arts centers or uh, or ball, you know, soccer fields or, or pharmaceutical headquarters. But no, could you just take the land away? No. But I'll bet some American could buy it from them if they were inclined yeah. to sell. But simply take it? No, that's not the kind of country that we live in, nor do I want to live in a country that becomes that kind of country. Although under Joe Biden, who knows what we're going to get. Coming up, we'll talk about Donald Trump's finish in Iowa last night.
all think it takes balls to be singing what I'm singing, but I'm just saying what you're thinking. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And was I pleased by what happened in Iowa last night? Absolutely. I mean, here's a state that gets slammed with more snow than it's seen is since about 1941. I kid you not. More snow in five days. Uh, dro- turnout dropped dramatically for the Iowa Coxes. Uh, four years ago, it was 180,000 people showed up. This time, only 110 because it was really tough. It was a tough weather situation. And yet, out of all all of that, Donald Trump comes up with 51% of the vote out of the caucuses, and it really drove the, the liberal media crazy that they had to announce that he was the winner about 20 minutes after the caucuses started. Sean Carney joins me now, who's CEO and president of 40 Days for Life. Sean, welcome back. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Is this a good win? It is. It's a good win because I was afraid he would he would win, but it just wouldn't be you know, a strong message. And this was, uh, we saw the evangelicals, we see the culture war taking center stage. And uh, that's a good thing. Um, I think that Trump won big in Iowa, because even though DeSantis has a great record with uh, all dealing with with woke and Disney and, and the lockdowns and all that, he's a great governor. Um, that was just clear they believe Trump can actually get it done because of his proven record, uh, you know, already having served four years. So I thought it was a blowout, as everybody else did, and I'm very excited to see what happens in New Hampshire and in South Carolina. He's probably going to beat Nikki Haley in her own state. Yeah, and, and that's going to be interesting in the in the third contest. But New Hampshire looks like it's going to go very well for Trump, uh, maybe middling well for for Nikki Haley, and I'm not sure, does Ron DeSantis survive as a campaign if he comes up with, what are the polls showing, 7 to 9% in New Hampshire after spending, what, he and Nikki Haley spent 70-some million dollars in Iowa alone. He spent over, I think he spent over $100 million on his own campaign, and he doesn't seem to have much to show for it. No, he doesn't, and he was just one of those candidates that is just perfect on paper, and it just didn't work out. It's just like I'm a Cowboys fan, so I know how that goes <laughs> the last few days. I mean, it just it just it just died, you know. And um, that that's that's uh, he's a great governor. He's handled himself very very well in Florida, um, but he's just been no match for Trump. Uh, you know what's interesting? You know, obviously Trump lost Iowa in 2016. Cruz won it because the evangelicals went for uh, went for Cruz, and then he overwhelmingly gets the evangelical vote this go around because he's got this great track record on on abortion, uh, mainly the, the Supreme Court and the overturning of Roe. But if you this time in 2016, everybody was saying Trump was done, and he went into New Hampshire and he won that handedly, and so. It'll be interesting. All we hear about is Nikki Haley winning in New Hampshire, and and I think they're forgetting that Trump won in New Hampshire, and he won big in New Hampshire in 2016. Now, we're going to find out if they liked him more then than they do now, but that's that's to me, is the most interesting state. I mean, maybe not a majority like he did last night in Iowa, but at least a plurality. If the polls are showing him at 40 percent in New Hampshire, if he does anywhere around that, you know, 45, 30, 38, whatever it is, it's still going to be a solid showing that he's going to be the nominee, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's weird there because the independents can vote and the, and the Democrats can vote in the primary. So, but even if they try to mess with the numbers, I, I, I think that he wins. 
And I think if DeSantis has this poor showing for his future, too, he's a young guy, you know, he, he so he ran a bad campaign. That's not the end of the world. He could come back in 2080, come back in the future. Um, so he may want to get out so that he doesn't become public enemy and the, the number one of the Republicans by just sort of lingering around. I think everybody's tired of Nikki Haley, uh, for sure. And so. Well, I'm nice. especially tired of her, uh, especially since immigration, I don't even call it the immigration issue. It's the illegal alien invasion. And, and this thing should be so front and center. I have a feeling the, you know, the, the, the remaining lingering effects of Joe Biden's opening up the southern border to north of 10 million illegal aliens in the last three years. And all Nikki Haley can talk about, or, or she has said, we've run sound bites from her saying that she has all this sympathy. Don't call them criminals. They're just people looking for a better way or a better life. And you're like, yeah, so is every, every other criminal out there is looking for a better life. And, and I'm sorry, but illegal aliens are criminals. They're, they commit a crime when they enter our country illegally. They commit, they break the law when they work illegally. And too many of them, a disproportionate number, are committing actual, you know, other crimes, both violent crimes and property crimes. Why is she so darn sympathetic toward illegal aliens? I don't know. She contradicts herself a lot. Let's say they all come in and they're all saints. It's still against the law. You, yeah. you can't have a country exactly. if you have open. You know, if they're all Mother Teresa, it's still a big problem. That's the problem with the immigration problem, and it, and it is what you're saying. It's a disaster. I live in Texas. You you can't have millions of people coming over and and just not face repercussions. And so, uh, I think immigration's probably Trump's best shot at at getting elected um, because there are a lot of Democrats that are that are kind of tired of it. Um, but Nikki Haley just contradicts herself so much. She just is that politician that is sitting there going, what can I say right now that's going to sound tough well, and sensational? And, and, and I got to tell you, Sean, I think everybody in America, in your personal life, if you find somebody who's willing to tell you whatever you want to hear to get whatever it is they're looking to get from you, money, votes, uh, favor, a position, whatever – doesn't that inherently make you distrust somebody when you say this this person seems to be willing to tell me whatever I want to hear or whatever they think I want to hear to get what they're getting that 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 makes everybody distrustful doesn't it it does it's also the guaranteed losing formula to defeat somebody like Donald Trump who has already proven that if he says something he will do it and in 2016, a lot of people didn't believe him. They were kind of hoping, like, we hope this guy's not full of it, and he's just promising the moon. And then it was weeks and months into his presidency where he was getting so much stuff accomplished. It's really amazing what he did in 2017 and 2018 alone. I mean, when you look back, uh, just the productivity. So he's just a proven candidate, and you can't counter that with just jumping around and and, uh, and trying to appease every opinion out there. And so – the Republicans, similar to 2016, didn't offer anybody that had a legitimate chance at defeating Donald Trump. The difference is in 2016, we didn't know that. We learned it in a very entertaining fashion, actually, during well, the primaries. And this year, we know it. You know, in computer keyboards, they call it WYSIWYG, which is what you see is what you get. Or if you have a program, it's whatever you see, that's what you get. I think that's what Trump is. He's the WYSIWYG candidate. You know, you say you say he's against illegal aliens. Yeah. And he tried, he gave us one of the lowest levels of illegal entry to the United States in history. He gave us a great e economy or these, the conditions for a great economy. 
Sean, keep up the great work at uh, 40 Days for Life. That's Sean Carney, president of 40 Days for Life. Glad to get your emails. Talk at LarsLarson.com. The number, 866-HEY-LARS. Check out my Instagram feed. That's kind of fun, but you'll see I have a face for radio. And be sure to tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat. That is Donald Trump with a message of unity that an awful lot of Americans didn't hear. And why? Because much of the cable news media decided we're not going to carry anything that he says, even though he is the big winner in the state of Iowa in the caucuses held last night. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls. I want to talk about what happened in Iowa and what's likely to happen going forward. And we'll get your phone calls and emails in there, too. Welcome to the Lars Larson Show for a Tuesday. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. That's easy to remember. And our poll on X, used to be called the Twitter poll, should Facebook face prosecution for running human trafficking ads for Mexican coyotes? Now, this is you. this is as bad as it gets. And as far as I'm concerned... Uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook or Meta, if you want to call it Meta or Meta these days, they're about evil personified because social media will tell you all day long and twice on Sunday why we're trying to stop pornography. We're trying to stop drug dealing on our social media. We're trying to stop everything except the one thing that it sounds like they're not trying to stop. Not one little bit is Mexican drug cartels and the coyotes who work with them. Coyote is a slang term that means the people who will try to get illegal aliens across the border from Mexico, no matter where they originated. They often originated 140 other countries, but get them across the Mexican border into the United States. And how do those coyotes find their clients? Well, it turns out they place ads that say that on Facebook, Three tries to get to the United States for $10,000. Now, do you think that even a guy like Mark Zuckerberg could figure out a way to spot that with an algorithm and say, we're not going to allow you to advertise coyote services on Facebook? No, they'll stop everything else in the world. But human trafficking, apparently Zuckerberg is not exactly opposed to it. And he's perfectly willing to make money and take money for the ads advertising to illegal aliens who want Mexican drug cartel coyotes to get them across the border. So I'll ask you the question this way. Should Facebook face prosecution for running human trafficking ads for Mexican coyotes? As you know, it's a federal crime in the United States to aid or abet somebody in violating America's immigration laws. 
And it sounds like Zuckerberg's doing that on steroids. So find the question, the poll on X, at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. But let's talk about Iowa. First of all, weather, like weather hit most of the rest of America, Weather and snow, and they said more snow dumped on Des Moines, Iowa in five days than had happened since 1941. Apparently that global warming thing is still going on because they got hit hard with snow. And it took down the turnout in last night's Republican caucuses pretty dramatically. If you go back to the last presidential election cycle... About 180,000 people showed up for the caucuses. Last night, 110,000. So they cut the number by about one-third. But get this. Donald Trump finished up with 51% of the vote. 51%. Nice, solid win. A good-sized majority. And where was Ron DeSantis? Ron DeSantis wants the great hope of establishment Republicans because he'll be able to beat Trump. He finished up as a distant second, 30 points behind at 21%. And Nikki Haley was about two points behind him. Vivek Ramaswamy, who you've heard on this program, he came in fourth, after which he promptly dropped out of the race, but has endorsed Donald Trump. And then, of course, you had Asa Hutchinson from Arkansas. He's decided to suspend his campaign as well. And what about Nikki Haley? Well, Nikki Haley comes in third, uh, second close, to Ron DeSantis, except now she heads off to New Hampshire. And New Hampshire, uh, a primary vote? Well, the polls there say that Trump doesn't have the kind of support he had in Iowa. I mean, in Iowa, he had 60 or 70 percent in the polls. In New Hampshire, he only, I say only, has 40 percent or so support, which still puts him light years ahead of both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, except if you thought DeSantis was bad yesterday or last night at 21 percent in Iowa, or sorry, in New Hampshire, he has somewhere between 7 and 9%, which starts to raise the question, do you think Ron DeSantis will be in the race at all after New Hampshire? I think a lot of that has to do with political money. You realize that DeSantis has spent over $100 million getting to this point, and he started in the 30% range. He's now at 21%. Some of the polls have him in the teens and barely ahead of Nikki Haley, and so it doesn't look good for Ron DeSantis. So, We see where it goes from there. But it is amazing that in in Donald Trump's 30-point victory is the single largest in the history of the Iowa caucuses bar none. Uh, Bob Dole, I think, finished 12 points ahead of his competition, ended up with the nomination, didn't win. And uh, at the time, after Bob Dole was done running, I thought he he sounded more brilliant after he stopped being a candidate than when he was a candidate. I like the guy, but he had his flaws, and in the end, he didn't get the result. But this is amazing. The polls had showed Donald Trump, if you averaged all of them, at about 44%. What did he get? He got 51%. Uh, Nikki Haley at 29%. She finished out about 10 points behind that. I'll tell you what, in New Hampshire... It looks like DeSantis is really going to find out whether or not he has a presidential campaign uh, at all anymore because that was not a great finish for him last night, and New Hampshire promises to be his Donnybrook. But what's happening now? The mainstream media, and I'll have some thoughts on this in the commentary, the mainstream media has decided they will do anything they possibly can to destroy Donald Trump, and first by simply ignoring it. 
And that's, I really think, the most amazing thing, that if you're an American who wants to follow the presidential race this year, and you've got a chunk of the media, not all of them, but many of the legacy mainstream media who've decided the best way to deal with Donald Trump, even if he's winning, is we won't talk about the winner. Now, there were literally some cable news anchors last night who would talk about Iowa, talk about the first place finisher, and never actually mention the name of Donald John Trump. Now, this is amazing. The idea that somehow if we don't say his name, it's like one of those crazy movies where you can't say the name of the bad guy. You know, the the mean tweeter with orange hair. Do you think that's going to work out well for the American public? or for uh, the mainstream media, because they're in trouble as well. If you think uh, Joe Biden's poll ratings are low, the mainstream media is not doing very well at all. In any case, just to tell you where we got to last night, I'm very happy with the result, and I have a feeling after New Hampshire, I'm going to love the result, because Donald Trump is going to come in in first place, and Nikki Haley may do a little bit better, and uh, with Vivek, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy out of the race, perhaps Ron DeSantis picks up a little bit, so does Nikki Haley, But we all know what's going to happen this summer. Donald Trump is going to get the nomination, and he's going to win in November. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. may talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. (laughs) This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. I wonder, is there evidence that not just Joe Biden and the Democrat Party getting a lot of help from the Chinese communists, but is the Republican Party getting a certain amount of help from the Chinese Communist Party as well? I read this fascinating piece, and I thought, I've got to talk to Natalie Winters about it. Uh, Natalie, you might recognize, is co-host of Steve Bannon's War Room and founder of She's So Right. Natalie, welcome back. Hi, thank you so much for having me back. See, it's easy for me to believe that Democrats get their advice and their policy direction from the communists, but is it also involving Republicans and top-level people at the RNC who've been taking advice from Beijing? Yes, believe it or not, I think a lot of people are are quick to call the RNC controlled opposition. I've always thought that that's a fair charge, primarily because they represent the more establishment wing of the Republican Party. But in this case, this story proves that there may be some collusion, believe it or not, with the Chinese Communist Party. I obtained documents showing that since 2013, several former RNC chairmen, uh, Robert Duncan and Ed Gillespie, 
Uh, in addition to the RNC treasurer who held the position at the time he was meeting with these officials, um, but we're participating in what's called the U.S.-China High-Level Political Party Leaders Dialogue. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but this isn't just some entity that, you know, happens in China or is loosely tied to the CCP. This is a project project of the International Department of the Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party, with put on with the help of some other communist influence groups. Uh, but the documents that I obtained show that these individuals have been flying overseas to China, participating in these events, and what they were discussing will quite literally blow your audience's, I think, minds, because they were talking about, in a direct quote, campaign strategy. And in the case of the 2016 version of the event, they were giving the Chinese Communist Party sort of a, a pregame, a preemptive rundown of what they thought the Trump administration's position on would be. There's a word for that. It's treason. And I think that that's a fair charge uh, with what these RNC officials are doing with the CCP. I mean, why, Natalie, you know, lately my big complaint about most news coverage is they, they got the who, what, when, where, and they leave out the why. Why would Republicans go to a dictatorship and say, can we learn something from you about political campaigns? Because I have a feeling political campaigns in a dictatorship are just a little bit different than political campaigns in a Republican form of government with elements of democracy like what we have. Natalie? I, I think, think can you? I can hear you now. Yeah, I can hear you I now. Was Go ahead. The Chinese, it was probably the Chinese Communist <laughs> Party. <laughs> they're they're uh, interrupting our feed. Your audio or, <laughs> or the RNC. Take your pick. Um, to, to answer your question where I think you were going with this, there is no logical explanation. There is no reason that Republicans should be meeting with the Chinese Communist Party if you think of the Republican Party as something that represents the America First MAGA movement. But honestly, when you say, you know, politicians or candidates are bought off, by the Chinese Communist Party, we do a disservice, I think, to what the Chinese Communist Party is conducting, which is, honestly, it is fifth-generation warfare. It is influence operations. It is unrestricted warfare. They are finding the Achilles heel of American society, of American politics, and they have billion-dollar, with a B, political warfare operations, uh, that they're running out of Beijing to target these people. You know, when we talk about Hunter Biden, don't miss the forest for the trees. They have the United Front Work Department which is a network of all of these various communist proxy groups, which are designed to make inroads. They prefer the strategy of infiltration as opposed to invasion. Um, it's subduing the enemy without you know, having to fire a shot. And these are the tactics that they use. But the only way that this, that this approach to geopolitics works is if you have an American ruling class that is willing to partner with the Chinese Communist Party because they either, A, don't believe that America is worth defending and worth fighting for, or frankly, uh, they just want the cash. They want the honeypot. They want whatever the influence tactic is um, of the day. But, it, you know, it, it takes two to tango. And I think it really shows you why we need to have leaders uh, in power who we know empirically um, are not going to sell out to the Chinese Communist Party. Because believe me, the CCP is ready, waiting and very eager to compromise, to put anyone on their payroll, their spouses, their children, you name it, because they know that they can get a much higher ROI on their investment than going the you know traditional kinetic warfare invasion. And I think, honestly, when you see stories like this, it begs the question. People always ask me all the time if I can try and whatever invade the United States. I think you can say they don't even have to. Um, because they have so many of our so-called elite, our, our so-called ruling class on their payroll. I'm talking to Natalie Winters, who's co-host with Steve Bannon in the War Room and also founder of She's So Right, at She's So Right. Uh, but, Natalie, 
I completely understand that the Chinese want to become the dominant force on planet Earth, military, diplomatic, financial, etc. They got a, a lot of financial problems. They make our financial problems, uh, you know, pale by comparison. I understand why they want to control. What I wonder is why would anybody who calls himself or herself a conservative, and I don't think Ed Gillespie is all that conservative, and my, I have my own thoughts on Ronna McDaniel, but why, why would they sign up to do this? Uh, and say, we're, we're going to do it, and we're going to do it in such a way there's not, I mean, you found this out, even though a lot of this is from 2017, but they must have known that at some point people are going to connect the dots and say, you were meeting with the chai What in the world were you doing? And and even if they were doing it because they said, well, the Chinese have a lot of money they want to spend, why would any Republican put themselves in that kind of position to say, we're conspiring with the enemy? Well, putting myself in their shoes, if I could even, I guess, suspend disbelief on me collaborating <laughs> with the CCP. But you, you know why they do it? And I think it is, as cliche as it sounds, it's because everybody's doing it. And on the topic of it coming out uh, through the mainstream media, the same organization, the China United States Exchange Foundation, that was co-sponsoring this event, also runs the same exact program for journalists. Um, from the Washington Post, from CNN, New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, the Associated Press. I could talk for 10 minutes about the different outlets that they've targeted. Um, but they really captured the, the ecosystem, the media uh, narratives here in the United States. So I would argue that it's not really going to come out from the mainstream press because they're in on it, too. Um, and honestly, I think, like you said, a lot of these, these Republicans that I named are more of the establishment ilk. Uh, they're looking around at their big business corporate type Republicans who've made their fortune by outsourcing and offshoring to China. They probably want to get in on the grift too. And if everyone's doing it right, corruption is so normalized in DC, uh, at least when it comes to the Chinese communist party. Um, I think that again, putting myself in their shoes, I think that's the, the logical calculus as to why uh, they go about doing it. And they think they're part of a protected class because they're the, you know, RNC establishment. No one's going to come after them. And then they hide behind the term Republican. But in reality, there's nothing about them that is conservative um, at, at all. Meanwhile, you see the RNC refusing to back America first candidates who oftentimes are actually tough on the Chinese Communist Party. But I think when we call these these types of Republicans controlled opposition, it's a very, very fair charge, uh, not just because they're controlled opposition from, from the domestic front, but there's this international um, angle to it as well. And honestly, you know, a lot of my reporting has to do with Chinese Communist Party infiltration, specifically how they get lobbyists on their payroll. More often than not, it's not the Democrats who are working for the Chinese Communist Party. It's establishment Republicans, because I think those types have no principles, have no backbone to begin with. Uh, so they're much easier to sell out and compromise, because that, at the end of the day, I really think they're motivated by, you know, profit and power. And that's really a match made in hell. Uh, when you pair up with the Chinese Communist Party. So, Natalie, one quick last question while we got time. Is it still going on today? So because of COVID, they had to suspend these dialogues. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's a, a, a funny, a funny fitting ending. Um, but the, the groups that are involved in it, the International Department of the CCP is still always making overtures to Americans and the China United States Exchange Foundation is still sponsoring events Fun fact, they just had their annual uh, commemorative celebration. And believe it or not, the person who gave their keynote address, Joe Biden's ambassador to China, Nick Burns. Wonderful. That is Natalie Winters. You can find her on The War Room and also founder of At she Shop She's So Right. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. 
we tend not to. Ever wonder what a vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you stated simply, you say Joe Biden was elected in 2020, except I don't think he was. I think it was a fraudulent election. And the heart of that case is that in some battleground states, there were votes counted that were illegally cast. And right at the center of all that is the case, the now criminal case, RICO case, that was brought against Donald Trump uh, for alleged RICO activity, racketeering in Georgia, for which he's being prosecuted if the local prosecutor isn't too busy paying money to her boyfriend or the guy she's sleeping with. So you've got all of that. And then right at the center of all this is... No, no, no. All the votes were completely valid. It was the most secure election that America had ever seen. So we were told a something that I didn't actually believe at the time. And now we've got new reason to disbelieve it. And there's some, been some great work done by Mark Davis, who's president of Data Productions, working with voter data since 1986. He's been qualified as an expert witness on voter data analytics. And in fact, Mark found himself under attack from Georgia uh, because of what he said about the 2020 election. Mark, welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me. Did I get any of that wrong, Mark? <clears throat> no, you didn't. So were illegal um, votes cast in the in Georgia in the 2020 election? Yes, and people need to understand it does not matter who people vote for. We we have secret ballots in this country, so that's not knowable anyway. All the court cares is whether or not the ballot was lawful or not, whether it was irregular or not, and whether or not it was part of a systemic irregularity that, that happened in the election. Meaning that and, we all expect and, that there will be little flaws in every single election, but if you see a systemic irregularity where ballots are being counted that, that are not valid, cast by people illegally, and it's systemic, it, it goes throughout the system, then that becomes a problem, right? Right. And if I can just kind of recap everybody on the, the story here real fast, um, because of my background, after the 2020 election, I decided to do a statewide analysis on the issues that I normally look for in these much smaller cases that I take. And when I did, I was absolutely floored when I found that we had thousands of voters that had moved from one Georgia county to another but had failed to re-register by the deadline. There was about 110,000 of them. Now, most of those people did not attempt to cast unlawful ballots in their previous county because they were unqualified voters. They had lost their residency in their old county, and they were unregistered in their new county. And so they had put themselves in kind of a limbo land where they couldn't vote at all. But about 35,000, according to the data, went back and voted in their old counties. So there's two problems there. Number one, you know, President Trump is in the middle of all of his litigation. And number two, what about that U.S. Senate runoff coming? So we quickly switched gears and started challenging um, getting voters to help file challenges in their counties against some of these folks to keep them from doing it again in the U.S. Senate runoff. And that is why Stacey Abrams and Mark Elias and Fairfight sued us. And I've been battling that for three years. And now that it's over, 
and we were exonerated, thank goodness. Um, now that that's done, I'm asking myself, what was it all for? We still have all this illegal voting going on. Our Secretary of State has been sitting on these issues for almost three years now. The last thing he wants to do is admit that President Trump was right on that phone call. But the reality is, I gave the Trump attorneys a copy of this analysis weeks before that phone call ever took place. This is the he famous phone call for which Trump is being prosecuted because they say what he was at, that the, the allegation was that Donald Trump was calling Raffensperger, the secretary of state of Georgia, and saying to him, you go out and manufacture the votes. When, in fact, what he was saying to him was count the legal votes. And if there were illegal votes cast, exactly. count them. Right. What what President Trump was doing, he sometimes talks in shorthand and he thought he was on a private call. And he was speaking shorthand when he said, find me 11,779 votes. That's shorthand for, I understand that in Georgia, the margin is enough to call the victory into question here. We think there's more than that. Please go look for them. That's what he was really saying. To me, it's clear as day because I see it from a different perspective. You know, if you, if you go down in the transcript to where Kurt Hebert starts talking, that's my analysis they're talking about. I gave it to them so far in advance of that call, they even had time to have an auditor go through it. So it's without question to me, I know what he was talking about, but this narrative that's out there, Brad Raffensperger could have disabused the entire nation of that narrative long ago if he had just done the investigation that he promised to do. And he promised you that he'd do that investigation, and now... These folks brought charges against you and your firm and said you broke the law. What was the law they said you broke? Well, when we realized these issues were going on, we knew the Secretary of State's office couldn't do anything to fix it. We knew the State Election Board couldn't do anything to fix it. The only people in a position to do anything were the county boards of elections if they received a challenge. So when we challenged those voters, we almost immediately got sued by Fairfight who claimed that we were committing voter intimidation under Section 11B of the Voting Rights Act. The thing is, there was, there was nobody on True the Vote side or on our side that contacted even one voter. The voters that claimed to be intimidated by us couldn't point anybody out in the courtroom or name any name other than True the Vote. That's how literally absurd the entire premise of their case was. And the judge wound up ruling that he saw no evidence that we had violated um, 11B, that we had intimidated any voters. And here's but the back, crazy thing. Yeah. If you read the prohibited acts section of the Voting Rights Act, it does say you can't intimidate voters, and it should, of course. But right under that, it also says you can't lie about where you live if there's a federal race on the ballot. You can't lie about your residency. I can't make this up. Anybody can go look it up for themselves. It's but, in the same you know, piece of law DOJ... that prohibits voter intimidation. And, and you point out that on Georgia's own website, something that's been taken down now, but it used to say this on the residency laws, if you move outside the county in which you're registered to vote more than 30 days prior to an election, you've lost your eligibility to vote in that county. You must register to vote in your new county. You'll be assigned a new voting precinct. Remember, if you don't register to vote by the deadline, you can't vote. And yet you found 35,000 voter records that indicated people voted illegally. And the margin was less than 12,000 in the state of Georgia, correct? 
Well, get this, over 12,000, well over 12,000, came back after the election and finally updated their own driver's licenses and or voter registrations, the tour linked by Motor Voter. They updated to the exact same addresses that they told the post office they were moving to well before the election. So these people basically provided corroborating evidence proving that they did file an NCOA. They did file it to this address. They did say it was a permanent move. They did say they were going to be moving their effective on such and such a date. And that date was well before the election. So, I mean, how you can argue with such hard, cold evidence sitting there on the table, I don't know. And, see, they couldn't. That's why I think they decided to bend the law. They couldn't bend the evidence. They couldn't spin the evidence very well. That wouldn't work. They've already admitted this is a problem on multiple occasions. So now they're just spinning the law. They're claiming the law doesn't say what it says. Unbelievable. That's Mark Davis. You can read the whole story. He wrote it up for the Federalist, but Mark Davis is president of Data Productions, Inc. you got to take a look at this. 35,000 illegal votes in the state of Georgia in an election called for Joe Biden on the basis of less than 12,000 votes. Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. I got a question for you, though. Is the legacy news media planning to censor Donald Trump and his supporters all the way to the White House. I think we got a good indication of it during the Iowa caucuses last night and the decision to run the speeches of both, say, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and others. But then when Donald Trump began speaking, you actually had cable news anchors explaining, we're not going to carry what he says because we know that he's going to tell lies. So already having the psychic ability to determine that a candidate will tell lies in a speech, they simply decide you don't have a right as our audience to hear what he has to say. Let me get into the details of that in a moment. First, I want to go to Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Well, that's very fascinating, Lars, because uh, within the last month, there's a guy by the name of Jason Fike that has been fighting the uh, fake news and their censorship Nazi program. And uh, guess what? A judge has ruled that it's unconstitutional. They did a 5.1 constitutional challenge, and it's amazing to me, something to do with the 230C1. You're familiar, familiar with that? It's, it's a Section 230 of the Communications Act, which gives yeah. protection to social media from being sued for civil suits, civil lawsuits, based on defamation, because... Understand it this way, Ron, just so people know what Section 230 is. If if you or I, even if you calling into my show, were to commit defamation, so you say something that you know is untrue and you say it about somebody, whoever it happens to be, 
and you know that it's a factual statement, there's a difference between facts and opinion. Uh, if I say somebody is a convicted felon, that's a statement of fact. If I say he's a creepy dude, like I say all the time about uh, Joe Biden, that he's a creepy old man who pervs out on children and women and things like that, that's a statement of opinion. And and so if I make a false factual statement about somebody and I know it's false when I say it and I say it anyway, that's defamation. Now, I have to make sure that I don't say those things on the air or I can be sued. I have to make sure you don't say those things on my show or I can be sued for what you say. You say, well, then what about the social media? They got people saying nasty things about all kinds of people all day long, literally billions of times a day on Facebook and X, Twitter uh, and, and all these other social media. Well, they have this Section 230. It says, because they agreed to act not as a publisher, I'm a publisher of this show, so I control what's on the show. As a platform, Facebook and Twitter and the rest have said, we're just platforms. We put the messages out there. You can't let people sue us for putting out a defamatory message because there's no way to screen billions of posts per day. And and. So far, the social medias still have their Section 230 protection. If they ever lose it, basically, Meta or Facebook is out of business. And so is X or Twitter. They're out of business because they could not exist without that protection. Do you see why? Well, that's kind of uh, correct, but uh, you missed one big part of this. The What's judge that? says they have no blanket immunity. He made it very clear. Section 230C1 the way they're doing it, they're abusing 230C2. They're trying to intermesh it. And he says he made it very clear in his ruling. Uh, it's on the Internet right now. The judge made it very clear that uh, if you are, uh, that 230 is to protect you by not touching the content. They are touching right. the content and right. then trying to have it. And, he and, that, and that's, that's, and that's the argument. And so far, Ron, I haven't seen anybody who's been able to bring a successful lawsuit and in fact, if there was even the threat of lawsuit, all of the companies, well, if you're in the business like like Meta is or X, Twitter, what used to be Twitter, the suits would be, there'd be literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lawsuits. And those companies would be told by the insurance carriers, we're not going to cover you anymore. And they would be effectively out of business, like a lot of businesses would go out of business if they lost their insurance coverage. So I don't, that's his fight. I don't know that he's necessarily won it yet. It's still be there are still fights about Section 230 before the U.S. Supreme Court. But I appreciate the heads up. Let's go to Pinball. Hey, Pinball, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Yeah, Lars. Let me say, hey, how are you, sir? I'm doing quite well, sir. Um, thanks for thanks, asking. Happy New Year. Thanks for taking my call. Now, you recently, uh, within the last week or so, Alabama put to death a convicted murderer. And Actually, no, no the that... execution is planned for next week. Okay, and they're going to use a nitrogen mask? What yep. is that? How does it work? Where did it come from? I can tell you how it works. Do you know, you ever seen a CO2 fire extinguisher? Oh, yes. And do you know how they work? Yes. They put out a lot of CO2, carbon dioxide, and, and carbon dioxide doesn't burn. So if your kitchen catches fire and you flood the kitchen with carbon dioxide, and it pushes the oxygen out and replaces it with a neutral gas, CO2, what happens to the fire? It goes out. It dies. It gets, it gets smothered. Now, what if there were a person in that room, and you filled the room with carbon dioxide? What happens to the person in that room? They die. 
they die because they're smothered because they have no they don't have enough oxygen. The oxygen is replaced with nitrogen, and they would basically fall asleep uh, because they would they would lack oxygen, and they go through what is that hypoxia? You don't have enough oxygen is hypoxia, and you and you'd simply fall asleep. So that's that's what they're seeking to do because. People who don't like the death penalty, but they also don't like the fact that the majority of Americans, a huge majority of Americans, support the death penalty. And that's every demographic group, every racial group, every political group, even black Americans by about 55 percent, who you might expect to oppose the death penalty, support it by about 55 percent. So they haven't been able to get the death penalty done away with through votes of the people. California, the death penalty was put to put to a vote within the last six or seven years, and the population supported it. So they've tried to kill it in other ways. One is to go in and say you can't use these pharmaceuticals to give the shot, the lethal injection, because of various reasons. They've scared a lot of pharma companies away from supplying the, the chemicals that would that would put somebody to death. So States have been looking for other legal ways to put somebody to death. And this guy, Kenneth Eugene Smith, whose execution is scheduled, um, he survived a botched lethal injection execution about two years ago, and he's scheduled for execution next week in Alabama, and they plan to use nitrogen. And if they put nitrogen you know, uh, in a mask on his face and he starts breathing it and it replaces the oxygen in his lungs, he, he runs out of oxygen and he goes to sleep. And that sounds pretty what peaceful. It be like getting the bends when you scuba dive. No, bends is when you have expanding gas in your bloodstream and it causes horrible, painful uh, bubbles to form in your joints. It's different than that. This would be like if you were in your cabin and you had your wood stove going and it's putting out, you know, some exhaust, some CO into the room or CO2 in the room and there isn't enough oxygen and you fall asleep on the couch and the next morning your family finds you and you are gone. That's how they want to get rid of this guy. Sounds like he richly deserves to be put to death. Glad to be with you. 866. Hey, Lars. The Lars Larson Show. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Five people with disabilities 